It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, June 4th, 2015. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Good to be with you as well, and glad that you're on the other end of the line tonight. Hope you'll join in in the chat room tonight if you're watching us live, or via email, questions at collegeview.com, or, or 877-381-4567. Interesting uh, topic tonight. We've got a topic tonight. We sent out an, uh, an update to our update list earlier today telling about our topic. But before I tell about that, Jacob... Remind people, get on our update list, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com to say add me to the list. Or a new way I'm using, we've got a Facebook page, The Virtual Bible Study. And if you get, if you like that, uh, if you will get on there and be a friend or however you do it so that our, our updates to Facebook will okay. come to you. Now, then we're putting those questions on and Facebook. And you're still doing the Twitter thing. And we're still doing Twitter, VBS Boy. questions, uh, at Twitter, high tech. So we got Twitter and Facebook updates out there now. Um, so Twitter is at VBS Questions. Okay. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, because we we always give you a, a little heads up. Can't put all the questions on Twitter; they don't give you enough space there. Okay. They don't let you have 140 characters per post. So, you, so okay. So to sort of give you an idea of what it's going to be. But if you want the questions, look up Virtual Bible Study. It's not the Virtual Bible Study, by the way. It's Virtual Bible Study. Virtual Bible Study on Facebook, and was, I'm putting the questions on there each week. So is the Virtual Bible Study already taken? Yeah, well, some people we know have been oh. in and out of that oh, out of that okay. realm and got it all tied up. Okay, <laughs> all right. So okay, well, um, well, check it out there, Facebook and Twitter. And Monty is behind the controls tonight. Monty, you do either one of those? Oh yeah, I don't do either one of them. Oh yeah, Monty's okay. Monty's high tech. Okay, yeah, high tech. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, so anyway, check it out there. so. To our update list and on those other social media sites, we said today that we were going to talk about something called performance worship. Yes. And it is just what the name implies, that it is worship in which performances are done. Yeah. In other words, it's, it's, it's like a concert or it's like a, it's like a going to a play. Mm-hmm. I mean, people perform and others watch them perform in the worship. Okay. Performance worship. I mean, it is what the name implies. Okay. We want to talk about performance worship tonight. And then, uh, in a a question I think could generate lots of conversation, we want to talk about our worship and the songs we sing in our worship. That came up last week in our, in our discussion. Mm -hmm. And we suggest we try to follow up on that a little bit. We want to talk about songs, the selection of songs, which, what kind of songs should we be singing? In our worship. All right. 877-381-4567. Important to note, because it could, could sound like it's cranky old men night tonight, but we're not talking about our opinions. We're, because yeah, people well, are going to have opinions about how they yeah. worship, and but it, this isn't about opinions. Well, we, we certainly probably will express opinions in the course of all this, but hopefully we want to 
bottom line, have our decisions based upon what God's truth reveals. There are some truthful absolutes here in what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're not talking opinion. About. Okay. When we get to the question about what kind of songs we should be singing and the selection of the songs that we sing, there's going to be some opinion expressed there, and everybody has opinion. You know, they always heard it said that opinions are like noses; everybody's got one. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, express your opinion, and, and we'll talk about it. And, and it's okay. opinions where there are judgment calls in worship. We can get that out of the, out on the table now, but uh, where there are absolutes, we have to stick by those. Yeah. So let's jump into okay. this performance worship thing, first of all. Performance worship. And we what asked four questions relative to performance worship. Are special singing groups, quartets and choirs, for instance, or solos, are they authorized in New Testament worship? Number two, does 1 Corinthians 14.26, where it says every one of you hath a psalm, would it provide authority for special singing mm-hmm. groups or solos? Right. Uh, and then, and this will be sort of a link to last week's program, can we learn anything about such special music in worship from the early church fathers and their quotes? Yes. Uh-huh. And then finally, in regards to performance worship, would you support or condemn worship drama? And by that we mean plays or skits, those kind of things being conducted in the worship. Why or why not? All right. We'll look forward to your thoughts on those questions. And later in the program we'll get into the types of songs, new or old. Which ones should we sing? And we'll look forward to that as well. First off, you're going to have to break down to to us what is performance worship. Well, as we were saying, it is just this idea of of certain individuals in the assembly performing and others observing that performance. Okay. Uh, If you get on uh, YouTube or if you do any searching for worship services at various denominational or even Church of Christ in many instances are doing the same thing, you'll see a a band up front. Right. Right. And they'll have all their instruments going full blast. And it's really good music. I mean, as far as entertainment value. And they're not just up there. It's, but it's, it's, yeah. like a, it's like a well-orchestrated uh, performance. They're it's, talented. It's, it's, not it's this, like a concert. Yeah, it's not five years old, five-year-olds up there trying to figure out how to play guitar. They know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, they're good. And they got DJ lighting oh. and special effects. Exactly. And one of the ones I watched, the, the preacher gave a little talk, and then he picked up a banjo. He was a good banjo player. Wow. Yeah. And so I mean, if that becomes a requirement for preachers, I'm in You're trouble. You're out. Yeah, I'm You're out. Because yeah. I cannot play the banjo. Maybe Monty could take your plate. Monty? I, I can't help you with that. Oh, okay. Monty can't either. Well, but anyway, that's what we're talking about. Okay. So we asked the question, are special singing groups, quartets, choirs, or solos authorized in New Testament worship? Our, our friend Aaron in Louisiana has sent us a, a really good post, and I think he's nailed it on so many of these questions. Uh I'm going to read his email first off, and I think that will get us well started on what we're talking about here. He says, no, they are not. Furthermore, they are not authorized either in or out of the assembly of the church. Groups that go around offering concerts of religious music are simply a choir by another name. I am not aware of any scriptural authority for a situation in which some Christians worship by singing while other Christians sit around and listen. Even in Acts sixteen twenty five in the Philippian jail, every Christian was singing. That's talking about Paul and Silas because yeah. they were the only they were the only Christians there, yeah. and so they were singing in worship. But they were the only Christians. Paul, um, he says, every Christian was singing, even if the prisoners were not. But I know a lot of people who see nothing wrong with purchasing CDs of religious music and listening to them. If that is worship, it is not the kind that God asked for. If it is not worship, then it is using sacred things, including the name of God, in vain or for an empty purpose. So I don't do that. I do sometimes use 
use CDs like that for the purpose of learning a new song, as I'll explain later, but my judgment is that it is neither worship nor that, is that using a CD to learn a song is neither worship nor profaning the sacred. But I do not entertain myself by listening to other people worship. And I... I'd have yeah, to add a hearty amen to that. Yeah, that's important. And I think there are a lot of people that are engaged in that, and we might, might just want to stop and, and question ourselves and say, is that something we need to be Catch doing? Catch what Aaron said there, because I think it is the, the, the heart of the argument about being entertained, either in person by going to a performance worship where there's a group up there and they're performing. Yeah. If it's if it's worship, I'm supposed to be involved in it. It's supposed to be a reciprocal thing. Uh, if, in fact, I was going to make that point. Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's a that that word one another is. Here, I don't want uh, you. You know, I'm a big grammarian. I don't want to blow away okay, grammar, yeah. but that's a re, that's a reciprocal reflexive pronoun. Yow. And so, when it says we're to teach and admonish one another, I teach you, you teach me. Yeah. It, 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 but if I'm singing and you're just listening, I may be teaching you, but you're not teaching me. There's no yeah. reciprocality there. Yes, right. And so it doesn't fit the bill. Uh, Ephesians 5.19, of course, is the parallel verse. Speaking to yourselves, or the New King James Version says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So congregational singing is what's authorized in worship to God. Yeah. And it means everybody should participate in that. Yeah. Uh, and and so the idea of having a certain element of the assembly performing while others listen is simply not there. So... If it's worship, we all ought to be doing it. Yeah. And, and therefore, the performance worship doesn't fit. Listening to recorded singing doesn't fit. But if it's not worship, if I'm just doing it for entertainment, well, then I shouldn't be using God's name and other sacred concepts in a common way. That's that's blasphemy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and so... I'm I'm right with Aaron on that. I don't do that either. I, I mean, I could see, I, I could enjoy doing that, but it's not a question of what we enjoy. It's a question of what is authorized. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven, or join in the chat room. Let us know your thoughts. I I have to agree. You're going to have to make up your mind on this, but I think this is something that uh, you got to give some consideration. Okay, the idea of using sacred things in a way for entertainment. Let's say, okay, uh, I, maybe I don't disagree. I don't agree with that. Consider it this way. What about some rapper? He starts rapping the Sermon on the Mount. It's, he's not teaching. He's not preaching. He's just doing it just for entertainment value. It sounds good, you know. Has you know the Sermon on the Mount wrapped? You got a problem with that? Well, if it's well, why is he doing it? Yeah. Does he intend it to be glorifying God? I'm, I'm sure everyone would say, "Oh, that well, that's crossing the line. That's profaning uh, these sacred things." Well, if that is, then why is it uh, any different if you're just listening to yeah. religious things for entertainment? Yeah, and and right now, of course, we're not even dealing with the fact that most of this is to musical accompaniment. Right. That's the question of instrumental music and worshiping God, and we've talked about that so many times on the virtual Bible site, so we don't really need to dive into that tonight. But that's, of course, a component yeah. of this question: yeah. taking sacred things and profaning them, using them in a common way. Uh, so some kids want to have a little party, and we break out the communion trays, and, oh, and, we, and, we, and we play like we're having the Lord's Supper. Yeah. 
Would we, would we do that just for fun, just for entertainment? Yeah. I think everybody's, oh, no, don't do that. Yeah. No, please don't do that. Yeah. Well, why not? I mean, if, if, if it is not an issue to take things that have a sacred connotation and use them in a common or just for entertainment fashion, then why not? Yeah. So, again, I'm like you. I, I think a lot of people listen to religious music. They listen to it on the radio. They buy CDs. They listen to, uh, for instance, college choirs sing performance songs, and they think there's nothing wrong with that. And they, and I think the argument is often that it's it's a better alternative. You know, it's better than listening to the to the country music on the radio yeah. station or rock and roll on the yeah. radio station because that's got nasty stuff in it. Yeah. Well, that may well be, but that's not the alternative that we need either. So That's right. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Again, the chat room's quiet, but we'd like to hear your thoughts tonight on uh, the subject. What do you think? Do you agree or disagree? You know, I think if you're going to be honest and consistent, the choirs and quartets and the seed, mu- the music on the CDs, I think they have to stand or fall together. I think they do, too. Yeah. If you'd be opposed to a quartet at the worship assembly, Getting up there and singing, even singing a cappella. So we got these guys. Man, they sing beautiful four-part harmony. Yeah. And so we're going to have them sing Sunday morning. And we're going to sit there and listen to them. And we're, and and we're going to love it. It'll encourage it's, us. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're going to sing about good. better than a guy up there playing an organ. Yeah. yeah the, so we'll, uh, but they're going to they're going to sing spiritual songs, yeah. and they're going to do it really in fine fashion. Yeah. And we could be encouraged by it. You know, someone said, well, that would really be edifying. Yeah. But it's not authorized. The, the point of it is it's not authorized. Yeah. And I think I think all of our brethren would object to having that quartet right. performance in the Sunday morning worship service. And if you would, then you, you have to – we're just challenging your thinking here. But if you would object to that, then what's the difference in you listening to it as you drive down the road in your car or whatever? It's either right or it's not. There's yeah. really not an in-between. Yeah, I think it's that's right. It's saying, well, it's a good alternative – an alternative. What doing this wrong instead of that wrong is a better alternative. If it's wrong. It's wrong. We shouldn't be doing it at all. I think that's right. And I think that what Jacob said there, stand or fall together, has that has to be acknowledged. All right. Let us Let, know if you agree or you disagree. Aaron is in the chat room. He agrees. He says that's not very helpful to the discussion. But <laughs> he says uh, I agree with everything I just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey. Um, Let's take a break. Let's let's get a break because this next part of this I think is is interesting. What about First Corinthians fourteen twenty six? You know, as we're trying, as people are grasping to authorize this sort of thing, some of them go to First Corinthians fourteen twenty six for authority. First uh, Corinthians fourteen twenty six says, "How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done into edifying." There are people who grasp that expression, every one of you hath a psalm. They see in the first century churches they were singing solos. In fact, Rubel Shelley, that's a name that some of our listeners will uh, relate to, Rubel Shelley takes that verse, and from that verse, you won't believe the conclusion he draws. He says, quote, there's more precedent for solos and small group singing than for congregational singing in the New Testament. Wow. And he bases it on 1 Corinthians 14.26. So let's take a break. How do you come explain back? 1 yeah. Corinthians 14.26? You can read it during the break and be ready to discuss on the other side. Does that uh, authorize solos, quartets, and choirs? Let us know your thoughts. We'll get back right after this. 
Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Lane Crawford, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you've never visited with the College View Church of Christ, you may be wondering what our worship services are like. One thing we have at every worship service is music. We believe God has commanded that music be a part of our worship. But something you may notice about our worship is that the music we have in our worship is different than the music used by many in the religious world today. The music we worship God with is strictly vocal. We don't believe God has commanded us to worship Him with instrumental music. Therefore, since we want God to approve of the worship we offer Him, we only worship in the way that He has specified. In Colossians 3.16, God instructs, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Instructions like this in which only vocal music is commanded are the only instructions we can find in the New Testament. Since God didn't tell us that he wanted us to worship him with instrumental music, how can we be sure that he wants that kind of worship? We do know that if we worship God like he prescribed with vocal music, that he'll be happy with that kind of worship. We hope you'll make plans to visit with the College of Church of Christ to learn more about what our worship is like. We'd love to have you join us in worship of our Creator this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Here's some quotes worth pondering. When we speak in anger, we generally ignore the potential consequences of our words. Relationships live or die by the positive or negative way grievances are handled. The difference lies in whether your words simply escalate the tension or lead to a resolution of the issue. The atheist has no reason for being, no meaning to life, and no hope beyond the grave. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back in the program tonight talking about uh, performance worship, and we want to get into the discussion now about uh, 1 Corinthians 14.26. Does it authorize the solos? Yeah, uh, th- this is, this is I think, the, the verse that some are, are seizing on to conclude that. Let me read it again. 1 Corinthians 14.26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done to edifying. I don't think that does the job that Rubel Shelley and others are wanting to do with that verse because, first of all, the verse doesn't even mention singing. A psalm is not necessarily sung. Some are, but we have a whole book of psalms in our Bibles that we read, and they are not necessarily sung. Uh, I, I acknowledge that some are sung, but others are not, so it doesn't necessarily even prove that singing is under consideration. But most importantly, the context of this is miraculous spiritual gifts and the revelation of God's truth. Notice in the very verse, it talks about them using tongues, about them receiving revelation, about them being able to offer inspired interpretations. This is talking about things they were doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, all of that has ended, obviously. Uh, Whatever is under consideration there has ended because... Holy Spirit has finished his work of of inspiring and revealing God's truth to mankind. Um, And so uh, this verse doesn't doesn't speak to what these people are doing. It's it's not identical at all. Furthermore, in the context of this, Paul was actually correcting an abuse. The gist of that statement there in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 is don't do that. Right. You know, he's not saying, oh, this is good. You know, keep it up. When he mentioned everyone hath a psalm and a doctrine and so forth, they were they were being out of order in the assembly, right. and it was just a chaotic uh, mess. And he was basically saying, "Don't do that." So it'd be pretty hard to go to that verse and say, "There's the verse that supports me standing up and singing a solo on right. Sunday morning," when the verse actually was in the in the context of a of a rebuke. Yeah. Stop doing that stuff. 
Yeah. All right. Let us know your thoughts. We look forward to hearing from you tonight. I guess along those lines, I guess 3980 agrees with Rubel Shelley, uh, says Rubel Shelley would be right if uh, right that the New Testament speaks more of individual Christians singing to one another. The classic proof text for congregational singing, Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19, are not in an assembly setting. Well, but the fact of the matter is it's still reciprocal, as we were okay. saying. All right. In other words, it, it, we're not saying that that's necessarily exclusively a congregational setting. I think it would apply to a congregational sure. setting. But in whatever setting it is, all who are there participate. It's not a situation where some perform and others sit and listen. And that's along the lines of what Aaron has uh, joined in with the chat room with. He says, but to one another, reflexive does not describe a performance where some simply listen. And I disagree with you about Ephesians and Colossians. To speak to one another, uh, we have to be together. The simplest understanding here is that he's telling them to do this when they're together. This is not ex- exclusively the assembly, but that is one of those times. Sometimes I sometimes invite brethren to my house to sing. We should do what God said and sing with each other, not have some perform to others. Uh, yeah. Okay, so there we go. Oh, did I, did I? He says he meant reciprocal rather than reflexive. My grammar tripped him up. He okay. said it yeah. actually is a one another in Colossians three sixteen uh, is a reflexive pronoun and it suggests reciprocal action. Okay, I think I hope that's right. Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong. All but right. I think that's the right so way to say it. Got that. some give and take in the chat room, and we'll look forward to monitoring that and uh, and. And relaying that here as well, but it looks in regards in regards to that verse, First Corinthians fourteen twenty six. Here's what Aaron sent us by email. He's in the chat room, but he sent a long email with good stuff in it. Here's what he said. He said the spiritual gifts under discussion here serve the purpose of revealing God's will in part. Chapter thirteen, verse nine. This verse tells us that God inspired some aspects of the worship, just as some prayers were offered in an unknown tongue. Chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. The fact that some psalms were inspired does not mean that they were performed as solos. I believe that these psalms were taught to the congregation by the inspired one so that they could use them in the way God describes elsewhere. I do accept that the process of learning a song may involve some occasions where one is singing while others listen. At those times we are not worshiping, but neither are we using the psalm vainly. The purpose of that learning uh, period is so that we can graduate to a point where we can use the song for worship. This verse does not say that some people came in and worshipped by performing. Okay. And I agree. I, I just don't think 1 Corinthians 14, 26 uh, is the verse they need to support the idea of special music in worship. All right. A good uh, good discussion there on that, an interesting uh, discussion. Uh, we're still looking for the authority for the performance worship. You referenced some uh, early church fathers in your well, questions. Well, we ask, uh, what could we learn? From the early church fathers about this sort of thing. Last week, and if, if you, if you have not had a chance to hear the program from last week, go into our archives and look it up because we talked about using quotations from the so-called early church fathers, the uninspired authors of the, uh, usually the second and third centuries AD. In other words, early on in the history of the church, there were uninspired writers who wrote. And some argue that you can use the writings of those uninspired uh, early church fathers as a, as a source of authority for our practice today, and we were, we were speaking against that last week. Yeah. But we did argue that you can, there's some value to looking to what they said, uh, and in this instance, there, there seems to be almost unanimous agreement among them that singing was to be congregational, not by solos or choirs. Yeah. Um, 
It says, uh, here are some quotes. Uh, Eusebius said, the church's congregational singing was so loud that it could be heard by those standing outside. In other words, here it was congregational singing. Ambrose said, the whole people join in song. Christendom said, the whole congregation forms one general chorus. Uh, from McClintock and Strong's history, it says, from the apostolic age, singing was always a part of the divine service in which the whole body of the church joined together. And it was the decay of this practice that first brought the order of singers into the church. In other words, they're saying, no doubt, that originally it was congregational. The Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church says, at first, singing was congregational, but gradually the practice of having a body of trained singers was introduced by the 4th century A.D., Choral groups had uh, were being employed in some of the churches. But again, we're talking about hundreds of years after the first century before this special music approach became popular among churches. A couple things to note. First off, that doesn't establish whether or not this our interpretation is right or wrong, right. but it does go to support. Yeah, and I think that's one of the problems of using those so-called early church fathers is, I, I dig around in there till I find one that says what I want them to say, yeah. and I use it to support my conclusion. Right. You know, at the, tying that into our discussion last week, I think that's one of the downsides of of, of relying on those quotes because yeah. you can find quotes on both sides of almost any issue yeah. among the so-called early church fathers. So, you know, trying to trying to find one that supports your already uh, decided conclusion is not very good practice. Yeah, right. But furthermore. It is interesting that this is this is acknowledged by those sources that you mentioned aren't people who would agree with our interpretation that it has to be congregational right. singing. They're just observing what they've seen in history, and that yeah. is that the early church was uh, using congregational singing. Yeah. All right. Um, some more discussion in the chat room on um, on this question about uh, the reciprocal singing, whether or not whether you could have just one person singing. Guess 3980 says, this does sound strange. Do you not think that a father has a right to teach his family through song without them singing at the same time? How does attaching a tune affect the teaching? Or else, if a teacher in the assembly taught by singing a portion of a song, is he no longer teaching? Interesting questions. We teach our kids with song. And and he goes on, uh, uh, Aaron responds to that. He says, it might be effective. I taught my kids the ABCs with a song, like many people do. But it's not the kind of singing that the New Testament describes, which is singing to one another rather than some to others. That's the key. It's not a question of whether it would be effective. If we had a really great soloist, Monty, he could just sing like a uh, like a bird. And so we got him up there, and he sang the sermon to us. He, he, uh, all good points, all scriptural points, and he sings it to us. Well, that could be an effect, really effective tool. But the, the point of it is it's not authorized. It's not a question whether it's effective or not. It's a question whether it's authorized. But we do. We, we teach our kids with biblical songs, but they are singing with us. And that's part of the teaching is they're learning uh, the words and, the, and, and singing along with us. So I don't think it necessarily – I mean, you got to be careful with the, with the hypotheticals. And, and the, if, if, if I could do something by this, what, does it make it right then? Uh, we've got to go back to the Scriptures for authority. Ronnie, did I interrupt you? Well, it doesn't matter how effective the tool is if we don't have the authority to use it. Right. Uh, the, some of the equipment I use at work, I'm really the only person there for. Well, I'm the only person I have training there to use it, but I'm the only person authorized to use it. So it don't matter that it may be the best tool for the job for somebody else to do. They don't have the authority to use it. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And so, the, whatever type of tool we're talking about to teach with. We have to have authority to use it, and if we don't, then we're outside the authority of God, and therefore we're sinning. Yeah. 
I think that's exactly right. When you boil it all down, it gets to this question of authority. Is it authorized? And we just have to argue that it's not authorized. All right. Uh, uh, guest 3890 says, who made an effectiveness argument? Maybe we, maybe we assume that, and so apologize for that. But the question that 3890 poses, is it right to sing in order to teach? It is. Following the parameters that God has given us. It is a form of teaching. Colossians 3.16 says teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms and hymns, spirit song. It is a form of teaching. We're not denying it's a form of teaching. But the teaching by song in the New Testament was reciprocal. It it was to one another. And so to say that, that we don't teach, we're not saying we don't teach when we sing. We definitely do teach when we sing, but we're to be teaching one another. And we can't find instances of of some Christians singing while others listen. And so that's what that's what we're arguing about here is is can it be done that way? Well no, the scriptures are silent about that. And again, this is this goes to the authority question and we've often talked about the silence of the scriptures. The silence of the scriptures do not authorize. You can't say, well the Bible doesn't say anything about it, therefore we can do it. No, if if it's not authorized in the scripture, we can't do it. And when it comes to singing and teaching by way of singing, it's always teaching in unison to one another not some singing and others listening we just don't do it that way okay all right um guest one or 121 guest i learned my old testament books with a tune as a young child all right uh, okay um so there we go all right let's uh, take a break we'll get a bullet point we'll continue discussion because it is a, a good discussion and i think still lots of uh, of comments to get to in the chat room so we'll look forward to those and uh Again, we're not, it's not our, our opinions. We just, we've got to get comfortable with, hey, this is authorized by God. I know that He wants me to do this. And we don't have that. We can't find it. And maybe you can. We want to hear from you in the chat room or over the phone or email tonight. Don't go anywhere. We'll get back right after this bullet point. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. The men who wrote the Constitution of the United States have long been praised for their wisdom and foresight. The words they penned have served as the basis for the laws of this land for over 200 years and have needed relatively few changes or additions. This is indeed remarkable when we view the governments and laws of most other nations in a constant state of change. Far more amazing than this, though, is the law of Christ. Written nearly 2,000 years ago, it continues today to provide us with, quote, all things that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. It is, quote, a perfect law of liberty, James 1, verse 25. No change has ever been or ever will be needed in it. In fact, its own pages contain warnings to those who would attempt to alter it. Galatians 1, 8 and 9, 2 John 9 and 10, Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. Let us learn to appreciate the beauty and perfection of God's Word and strive to live and worship according to its precepts. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. What a short bullet point tonight. I sort of feel ripped off. Well, it was a little short. Yeah. Uh, we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you have any questions about what you've heard, if you're listening to this in the archive version or the podcast, send us an email at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. And suggest topics for consideration or questions you'd like answered on the program. We welcome those at any time. 
Yeah, one more thing about this singing and maybe singing. At, uh, uh, guest 3980 asked, were you wrong as a child to sing by yourself? I, I don't think I, I would take a position that um, it's not it's not wrong if I'm by myself to sing a spiritual song yeah. because it's a form of which I could be praising God and there's nobody else there. So I'm not teaching them, but. I could praise God that way, and you might base that on James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing a psalm yeah. or sing psalms. Um, but if I'm with others, then we need to be teaching and admonishing one another. You and Aaron are on the same wavelength again because Aaron has said oh, singing by oneself is also valid, James five thirteen. But the subject here is performance worship and whether it's right for some to perform for others. And that is the question. Yeah. And, uh, and I think my conclusion is, and again, this is not just opinion, because if if it were my opinion, I like those performances. I, I could really enjoy sitting and listening to some of those really good singing groups uh, do their thing. And so I hope everyone understands we're not just expressing a preference here, but we're actually trying to base this upon what's authorized in the Word of God, and uh, we just don't feel like there's authority for a performance in worship. Before we go on, KB in Mississippi has an important question for us. Sunday worship service is taking place, and a member of, of the church is sitting in the congregation and is not singing. Is this okay if they not sing because he or she claims they don't understand the words of that particular song? Is that a sin? Good question, KB. What are your thoughts about that? Is it a sin no. if, if... So there's a song going on. I don't sing it because I don't understand the words. Is or maybe you don't agree with the words. Or don't agree with the words. That happens sometimes. I, I would confess that I have been in that position a number of times. If I can't make sense of the song, as, and, and KB uh, quotes the verse, 1 Corinthians fourteen fifteen. Uh, what is it? Then I will pray with the Spirit, and I'll pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. I need to understand what I'm singing. And if I don't understand it, you know, there's a lot of poetic license in a lot of the songs we sing, and you got to grant the songwriter poetic license, yeah. you know. But I, sometimes I cannot stretch poetic license far enough to make any sense of it. Yeah. Uh, just recently I uh, was at a funeral, and they sang, I Go to the Garden Alone, which song I absolutely hate. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I go to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. You don't like to get up early or what is uh, it? No, it, oh, in the... In the too. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> that and the gardening thing sort of throws them off. But, but, it, the, but in, the course, in, the, in the song it says, and we walk, to, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Well, that's not even true. Yeah. You know, I, I, that implies that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul didn't have. He never knew what I know in my relationship with Christ. It's just, I just, I think it's a, a bogus song. I don't like it, okay. I, and I won't sing it. Okay. And if, if if I'm in an assembly where they're singing it, I don't sing that one because I don't think I can sing it and agree with the message that's being sung. Well, and there may be some things that you can't sing with the understanding. Maybe there's some some ideas there that maybe. You have questions about, you know, I need to make sure that's right before I sing it. I, the right thing to do is to bite your tongue and sing with the understanding the next time that song is sung, if it is, it's back scriptural. Yeah, and, and then maybe either get a, get a, uh, comfortable with the song and its meaning and you agree with it, or maybe address that to the others in your congregation. Say, you know, that song, I really have a problem with that song and, and maybe you should too. Think about it this way. Is, is it scriptural? And if it's not scriptural, maybe we can come to agreement and just say, we're not going to sing that song. You know, every song in our songbook, whatever songbook various churches use, 
every song in there was written by a man. Well, yeah. uh, uh, and so. Well, I think sometimes we sing some of the psalms put to music, but even there, I think some words are supplied to make it fill out the the yeah. the, the, uh, the yeah. you know. The I've never stanza. written this song, but I imagine you have to sort of get creative. But but, but you know, they are not, uh, inspired. not inspired. Yeah, they're not inspired, and and so we we shouldn't be devoted to them like we're devoted to you know the book of. First Corinthians, for instance. And the other, I mean, the other thing is, you got a problem with song? Tell the song leader. I mean, there are hundreds of songs, literally, in the book, and there's the song leader doesn't want to lead one, or should want you, to lead one that's going to cause other people. Well, to have a problem. that's the key. The song leader shouldn't want to sing one that's going to cause somebody a, a problem with their conscience. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you, you want to stir up a hornet's nest, start criticizing any specific song. And there are some people who are wedded to that song as though it was penned it was by scripture. the Apostle Peter. Yeah. And and so, you know, people are very touchy about that. I've learned that through the years. That you, If you criticize a song, you're liable to have somebody come down on you pretty hard. Yeah. But I know, I, that was great-grandmother's favorite song. And if you're saying that song wasn't scriptural, then you're saying great-grandmother wasn't yeah, scriptural. Yeah. And I'm not going to tolerate that. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the reaction. I've heard that before, yeah, yeah. actually. And, and so... Uh, but but again, we we just need to keep this all in perspective. We we need to re- realize that those songs are written by uninspired men. They and they may or may not contain a scriptural uh, content. And if they're unscriptural and if they're saying things that are not right, then we we should stay away from that. In regards to that, I had another email here. Where is it? Well, if they're saying things that's not right, we've just discussed the scripture that talks about teaching to each other in these songs. Well, if we're singing a song that's unscriptural, we're being in effect a false teacher. So we can't do that. Yeah, I think that's right. And I've lost this other man. I had an email from Sharon in South Carolina. Here yeah, it is. there she is. Here it is. Oh, no, Sharon, uh, you, don't, you didn't share uh, that one with me. No, this one came in last week after last week's. Oh, okay. And she has a particular problem with the song um, uh, that goes, uh, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. That's the song. Then Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. And in the course of that, uh, it says, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And uh, that, that phrase, dressed in his righteousness alone, troubles her with the idea that it may imply uh, imputed righteousness. And I've had that concern about that song as well. I don't know that everyone agrees that that's what's being said there, but I have a little issue with that. So I... I I, there's one of those. I don't sing that phrase in that song okay. because I don't. I have some conscience about it. So Sharon, I would agree with you. But I, I, I we got to be careful here. Or we'll dive off into a critique of several hundred songs in the songbook. But again, if you can't sing it with understanding and agreement with the message, then don't sing it. Yeah. Okay, KB. Hope that helps with your question. You want to get to KB's other question? You want to go on? Let's, not, let's wait here for we'll just hold a that minute. for a minute. Yeah. All right. Uh, we, we have one more part of this. We're going to have to hurry, Jay. We're going to run out of time if we're not careful. But what about plays, skits, dramas acted out in worship? In other words, we got this. We got this troupe of of actors. They happen to all be members of our congregation, but they're pretty good. You know, they really have worked at this, yeah. and they dress up in in uh, period clothing. And they act out various scenes from the scriptures in the worship service. That's becoming common, too. That's a part of this performance worship category. Uh, what about that? Plays, skits, and drama. Well, Aaron, just he, he puts it very succinctly. He says, this is not what God asks us to bring him in worship. 
That's, that's about as but simple as you get. That's about as simple it, as you get. Again, it's an authority question. Where in the New Testament do we find an example or a, a command or anything that would infer that uh, from which we could infer that those kind of drama skits, plays, acting out were done in worship? We just don't have that information. Okay. Uh, let us know. What do you think about that? There may be some discussion about that and uh, in the chat room. Um, I would uh, reference 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Uh, no, sorry, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 is the one I'm looking for. He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I don't see any playwriters or actors or yeah. uh, skitters. I, I, yeah. I don't think anybody could imagine that the Apostle Paul, as he went about on his missionary preaching journeys, had some. I mean, he had people traveling with him. He did have a and, and, and he, you know, uh, Titus and Timothy and Epaphroditus, you know, uh, acted out uh, the uh, uh, crucifixion or, or the or the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know, Epaphroditus was Abraham and. You know, Titus was the rich man, and Timothy yeah. was yeah. Lazarus, and they and they and they acted that out. Yeah. You know, nobody could imagine that. We know that that didn't happen. He was longing to go to Rome so he could put on the production for them there. You know, I, oh, oh, thinking of that, that, here's here's an interesting quote along that line. Uh, he says, it's, uh, "This is this is a quote from an article by Wayne Jackson." He said, "It's quite significant when one reflects upon the fact that the ancient Greco-Roman culture was immersed in drama motive. In Paul's day, Corinth had a theater that seated fourteen thousand people. Mm-hmm. Ephesus had a theater that accommodated twenty-four thousand. In Rome, it's estimated that there were three thousand actresses." With the theater aura so permeating that society, is it not remarkable that there's not even a hint in the New Testament that the primitive saints employed drama to reach their contemporaries? Early Christians simply proclaimed the sacred message in plain and unostentatious fashion. And then he asks, where's the evidence for Christian drama? The New Testament silence regarding this practice speaks quite eloquently. All right. So I think that sums it up real well. Aaron says, on the subject of plays and skits, guest 3980 made a valid point before about the way we teach children. I do not think I object to others, to a teachers of young children who ask the children to play act sometimes to encourage the children to think about what happened. So I have to think about that a bit. Yeah, and but I think Bible class teaching arrangements are different than worship assemblies. Yeah. Uh, so again, I would argue that we might do something in a Bible class that we wouldn't do in the worship assembly. Uh, yeah, so I might I, reference, you know, the, the time that uh, they took Paul, the guy took Paul's belt and put it around his hands. Said, Agabus. It, yeah, Agabus. Yeah. That, that, I mean, there's there's some, I guess you could say that's acting there, but that wasn't in a worship service. But, yeah, you know, yeah, it might be. I, I think I that's know. right. But again... There's there's no reference to it in the in the worship of the church that they did those kinds of acting or drama scenes. So I would leave it at that. That it's just not it's not in the scripture. Let's leave it alone. Okay. All right. Let's take Take a break. break. And when we come back, we got to hurry and talk about this last section. What about the songs we sing? The old standards or the a lot of the new ones that are coming along? What are we going to sing? We'll take a break and get that discussion on the other side. That's going to be one, too, that will hopefully generate a lot of discussion. We want to hear from you. Don't go anywhere. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. 
Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The number of Americans who don't affiliate with a particular religion has grown to 56 million in recent years. Seven out of ten Americans still identify themselves as Christian. However, between 2007 and 2014, Americans who described themselves as atheist, agnostic, or of no particular faith grew from 16% to nearly 23%. At the same time, self-identified Christians dropped from 78% to just under 71% of the population. That information is via the Associated Press. The Word of God says in Psalm 10, verse 4, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight talking about performance worship and uh, newer old songs. Before we, we got to rush on, Jacob, but before we do, let me talk, let let me just deal with what we just were talking about there just before the break. The idea of some of the things that happened in the scripture, uh, you, you mentioned in the New Testament in Acts 21, Agabus took Paul's girdle, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, I don't think that was a drama acting out. Agabus was using Paul's girdle as a, as a more like what we would call a visual aid. He was also inspired to deliver that message. That, and so that would be different than, than yeah. th- these drama plays that we're talking about. There's a couple. I, I had a note about a couple of other instances where God's inspired spokesman did use visual aids. In 1 Kings 11, beginning verse 29, the prophet Ahijah came to Jeroboam. And you may remember he tore his garment, gave him ten parts of it, held back two parts of it, speaking of the, how the kingdom was going to be divided and part of yep. it given to Jeroboam to reign over. And then in Jeremiah chapter 19, beginning verse 1, Jeremiah was told uh, to get a potter's earthen vessel, and then he was to break it in the sight of the people and say, even so will I break this people and this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again. And so Jeremiah broke the potter's vessel to show what God was about to do to Israel, or to Judah, rather. And um, the the point of that was, again, a visual aid to emphasize the message, the inspired message that Jeroboam was delivering. I would not think that those are the authority for worship drama today. And guest 3980 believes that we have been inconsistent. The guest says, I was... Uh, wants to know about the basis to apply different rules between a Bible class and a worship. Uh, and so 
Well, we do we do several things in Bible classes. We don't in worship. We have women teachers in Bible classes teaching children. We don't let the women speak and teach in the in the worship assembly. Bible classes are different than the worship assembly. There's no doubt about that. All right, and uh, with the singing thing, that's that's worship whether you're doing it in in the assembly or out of the assembly. So we think that uh, those rules apply. Uh, so all right, I, I, that's how, that's where I would start with that. Yeah, uh, Aaron said I would not say that outside the assembly we can do anything not prohibited. I would not worship with a piano outside the assembly either. Uh, but Paul does not talk about some things, the role of women, for example, that are specific to times when we come together in the church. Okay, and he uses the example First Corinthians eleven eighteen and chapter fourteen. Maybe a discussion for another time yeah. as we okay. roll on to the the last. The, segment for tonight but uh, do appreciate the good discussion and some things to definitely uh, consider thank you for bringing those up um we asked finally uh we had a part about the songs we sing in worship uh and we asked how did we ask that question jay well yeah, you do you personally favor the old standards or the newer songs that many of our that are in many of our song books what factors should be considered in choosing songs that we sing? Along those lines, Ramona in Texas says, I like the old standards, what I grew up to. The worship will have newer songs, and I can't sing them because I don't know the verse, and some of the new ones are really badly written. I think that's right. And so I, She says, give me the old ones. The, the vote is for the old ones there. Yeah. Um, I have to agree again wholeheartedly with what Aaron wrote in his email, so I'm going to read that. He says, what I favor is a variety among scriptural songs. When we sing only a few songs over and over again, they can become stale, and it's easy for us to simply mouth the words without thinking about them. I think that's true, and I think I've been guilty of that plenty of times, and so I'm sympathetic to what he's saying there. So I would try to make sure that the congregation where I am a member gets to use a variety of songs. Since several other song leaders are more comfortable with songs they have known for a long time, it's often my job to introduce some that are newer or less familiar. But one of my goals is enough variety that our minds remain occupied with the objective of worship, not overly confused by a wave of new and unknown things, and not lulled to sleep by endless repetition of a repetition of a few familiar hymns. Now, I really like that. In other words, it, all new, a bunch of songs we don't know, then we're distracted by that. He says that we're confused by a wave of unknown, new and unknown things. Yeah. I think that happens. But on the other hand, there's a danger of being lulled to sleep by endless repetition of a few familiar hymns. I think it's well said. I think it's exactly right. He said, of the newer generation of songs, there are some that I will not lead because they seem to be written for their performance value rather than for edification. You need to read that again. But that's that, I think, is a critical yeah. thing. He says, of the newer generation of songs, there are some that I will not lead because they seem to be written for their performance value rather than for edification. I'm aware of a song in which the four vocal parts are singing four different sets of words at the same time. And it seems to me that this cannot lead us to edifying one another any more than having four different prophets speaking at the same time rather than in turn, per 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Amen. verse 29. I'm aware of another song where the first verse is intended to be sung by only a few people, and those who sing soprano, soprano are invited to jo- join only in the fourth verse. And and I won't leave that one either because I don't think it's right for most of the audience to be sitting idle while three verses go by. I also think that the newer generation of songs tends to be more emotional. That's not quite the right word, but they are written to express more awe than praise, if that makes sense. They're written to emphasize our own reaction to God that leads many of them to focus on us more than on God. I think that's an interesting observation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not always a bad thing in small doses, but a couple of songs are written with so much mush that I can literally not understand what they're expressing. If I don't understand the message, I don't sing the song. Thank you, Aaron, for those good thoughts. I think that's excellent. Well, yeah. so I couldn't say that any better. I don't, I don't even try. I mean, that's, that's some bulletin material stuff there, but... Uh, 
Yeah, that the th- four parts singing different words. You can't even hear what the, you can't hear anything but what you're singing. You don't. It's just noise. I think we've got to ask ourselves the question: Are we edifying each other? And, and there's some of those songs that you know. I, I, we used to call it singing in the round. You know. Yeah. I start this verse and, and it gets so far, and then the, the, another group starts a, a, another verse yeah. or the same verse, but there yeah. there are several stanzas behind me. Uh, that, that's. That's not edifying. And no. uh, so let's remember what this is about. This is to be edified. Uh, I, I really liked Aaron's observation that I do that because I do this. I, it happens. I have to shock myself. I mean, I have to sort of pinch myself. I pay attention here because some of those songs I've been singing for 50 plus years. Yeah. And uh, I can sing them without even thinking about it. Right. And, and, and that's not good at all. That's vain worship for sure. Right. So. Just singing the old songs exclusively could lead to that for sure. But some of the newer songs that we don't know, we can't sing well. We haven't learned them. We haven't taken the time to learn them. And then when they're sung in the worship assembly, it's, I think, a huge distraction. Yeah. Uh, because we don't know the songs. We don't sing them well. We don't, and therefore we, we can't sing, uh, uh, Necessarily with all the understanding and the intent, and it's not edifying. If if, if the congregation can't sing the song, it's not edifying. Plain and simple. I don't care how good it sounded when you were listening to it on the CD with the the choir singing it. And if the congregation can't sing it, it's not edifying. It's not. That's that's the key right there. And some of the songs are are technically difficult to the point that lots of congregations don't have the singers that can handle that. Uh, Some of the songs require uh, alto leads or bass leads and sometimes we don't even have those singers in the assembly uh, certainly not in the assembly to be able to sing out loudly and strongly enough to carry that part of the song and i think song leaders need to be real sensitive to that i think song leaders need to be attuned to the sensitivities of the whole congregation you know the young people like a lot of the newer songs i sometimes refer to them as camp songs i'm like aaron I'm, i'm not sure all of them really are the best in content, but I'm not questioning that right here. The young people like the newer songs. The older people almost unanimously prefer the old standards. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to try to honor everybody's sensitivities and consciences in that and 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 try to, to, to strike a harmony or a blend that will try to keep everyone edified. Edification, as you said, is the key. All right. Monty, your thoughts uh, about... Uh New or old, and how do we decide which ones we're going to do? Well, for me personally, I generally like the older ones because I know them, and so I can sing them as well as I can sing, and I feel like it's more edifying to me. For the newer ones, I'm trying to catch the words and the music and manipulate my voice to match it, and it doesn't seem to work out so well for me. But my wife likes the newer ones a lot. She likes learning these newer ones real well. So there's there's some of both of it. Yeah. And you know, I'm not condemning the newer ones as long as they're scripturally sound songs. Yeah. It's just it's not my preference. I mean, I used to lead singing some, and so if I'm going to lead it since I don't read music real well, it has to be an old one that I know. Yeah, that's sort of the problem with those folks that aren't uh, highly musically talented. Uh, I think most of us would put in the room here would put ourselves in that, and it's it's a challenge. The new the new songs are a challenge. Yeah. And uh, uh, Aaron says he uh, uh, struggles to try to understand the best way to teach people new songs. He says, right now we invite brethren to our, from our congregation to our house every couple of months for a couple hours of singing and sometimes devoted to trying to learn new songs that we will later sing in the assembly with more members there. And, and uh, 
I guess 3980 says, uh, sounds familiar. We used to have Sunday afternoon singings that would include new songs so that we leaders could introduce the new songs into the assembly. I think that's the way to do it, and and uh, we've tried to encourage that here. It, of course, it requires more effort for the song. For instance, here, we've encouraged the song leaders to get together on a regular basis and practice among themselves Practice these new songs that they want to teach to the congregation. I'm going to tell you, a song leader can't sing, can't lead a song that he can't sing himself. Yeah. And, and we have that problem sometimes. Leaders trying to lead songs and they can't do it themselves. How are they going to lead us to do it? Yeah. And, and if we're going to have new songs, they're going to have to be those uncomfortable services where you'd try and learn the song. So I understand that. But, uh, some of the songs, I don't think, some people could sing if they'd been singing them for a hundred years. They're just written. They're too complex for. Yeah, and, and we and I think you got to be realistic. I mean, uh, we don't. We, we're not the Mormon Tabernacle Choir here, and we you know uh, we can sing. We can sing pretty well, right. but you get a you get a real complicated song out there with with lots of intricate part harmony. We're probably not going to do well with that, and let's just admit that and not try that. You, uh, you asked the question, what factors should be considered in choosing the songs we sing in worship? Aaron says, our objective is to worship. Scriptural content is the first goal, and the second is an atmosphere where, to fo- where the focus is worship. Too little variety and too much novelty are both distracting, as I said above. Uh, a song should be written with the vo- within the vocal capabilities of the people in the audience, or it will fall flat and disrupt the mood. Thank That's you, Aaron, exactly what we're, that, that part right there where he said that, it should be within the vocal capabilities of the people in the audience or it will fall flat. That's what we were saying. But notice he makes the point it disrupts the mood. It affects the edification of the assembly yes. when yes. that happens. Yes. All right, KB had a question. we we, we got just a minute. Let's have, do I that. think we can answer it. He yeah. says, I have another topic about singing that has begun to flood uh, Church of Christ congregations. It's called arrhythmic hand clapping. This is when the song leaders sing and clap the tempo of the song simultaneously. Clapping normally mimics the rhythm of clap, 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 clap. Is arrhythmic hand clapping a sin? I think we make it more general. Is hand clapping a sin? Well, I... Arrhythmic or rhythmic. Well, I mean, what do you say, Monty? Typically, hand clapping is an outburst, of an emotional outburst in response to something that usually we have approved, uh, we're showing approval to, or... The, Something like that. And so it being an outburst, it's not done, something that's done decently in order, typically. Uh, it, it's not an orderly thing. It's a, typically a disorderly outburst. I think that's right. And I would argue, where's the authority for it? We have authority for singing. Hand clapping is different from singing. Uh, you know, we don't have authority for instruments of music with our singing, we argue. But we don't have authority for hand clapping with our singing either. The Bible is silent on that, and therefore... We're, it's not authorized, we ought to leave it alone. By the same decision you'd make about instrumental music, you'd have to do the same about hand clapping. So I think that answers KB's questions. We do appreciate KB's good questions, and I appreciate the good discussion in the chat room uh, and uh, the good emails tonight. A good discussion. Yeah. Lots of things to think about. I think so. And uh, it's more than just an opinion. We've got to have authority for what we're doing. Exactly. All right. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Monty, for being here. Thank you, Jacob. Sort of a last-minute uh, request, but thank you thank you for coming, and uh, thank you for all listening. Again, if you have any questions about what we said on the program, send us an email, questions at collegeu.com. We'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.